0: Jesus, I just got to know, did anybody come tonight expecting, does anybody need something from God? I'll tell you what, it's not just another Saturday night, it's not just another Saturday night, you never get this one back, and I'll tell you what, when we show up and we're hungry, God will do something in our lives, right? Are you hungry tonight? When you're hungry, it drives you to the table. Amen? When you're hungry in a pizza ranch, you go back and back and back and back. Right? But you're hungry for Jesus tonight, right? I'll tell you what I am too. And I just want to tell you that uh, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter where you're at, no matter what the situation is, no matter what someone said about you, to you, that God sees you differently. And I don't know you know, who needs to hear that tonight, maybe all of us, but sometimes we listen to the lies that people tell about us or what we even think about ourselves. And I just want you to know that Jesus loves you so much tonight. No, listen, Jesus loves you so much. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you more than, than you love anyone else. He loves you more than you love your kids and you love your spouse. He loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you that much. And that love is what motivates you to, to want to please Him. Not because you have to earn it, but because He loves you that much. You received that tonight? Yes. Amen. Well, I'm Pastor Rob, one of, the, one of the pastors here. If we haven't met yet, look forward to meeting you. Um, and uh, I tell you what, we're going through a series in Genesis. How many of you enjoying this, this, the Genesis adventure? Yeah, it's, it's been awesome. If you, if you didn't catch Pastor Jesse's message last week, you need to go back and listen to that because it's phenomenal. Um, it, will, it will encourage you. It will challenge you. Um, and you know what? Listen, anytime I get a chance to stand up here, um, it's, it's an extreme honor because we have a pastor that can preach the paint off the walls. Amen. And, and not only that, but he, he lives it every single day. And those of you that know him well know that he lives it. It's not just one of those things where he can preach good and he can look good and he can act good, but the guy lives it good. Try going someplace with him. All he does is talks to people about Jesus. Try going to the gym with him. You can't get a workout in because he's talking to people about Jesus. But that's the kind of pastor I want. Amen? So. Honor our pastor, honor him and his family every chance you get. But we did, uh, we did chapter 22 last week, so that puts us on what chapter this week? You guys are really sharp. And uh, 23, I was so excited, you know, I was like, okay, we get to go in Genesis until I read chapter 23. It's about Sarah and she dies. And that's about it. But I'll tell you what, God gave me a word for you out of this chapter. So we're going to read, it's, tw- it's only 20 verses. So if you've got your Bible, um, open it up. It will be on the screen as well. But uh, we, uh, we stay standing just while we read the scripture. So I'm, I'm actually going to read through all 20 verses. And uh, are you guys up for it tonight? Yeah. Amen. Come on. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kirith-Ehab, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. So Abraham rose up and bowed to the Hittites and and the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ebron, Zach, Ebron, never mind. It will help you remember, the son of Zoar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah. The property for, that's where he wanted to bury him. It it was his own. And and at the end of his field, he's talking about. So he's saying where it is, and it's part of this field. But for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites. And all of those were sitting at the city gate. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it, in the sight of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to him, in the hearing of all the people in the land, but if you will hear me, give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing, 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron of Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave at the end of it, all the trees that were in the field throughout the whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, which is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is hidden there was made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that every, every single thing in there is meant for our edification Every detail that's in there, God, has meant for us to learn something. God, every, every word that is in there, God, has meant for us. And so, God, I pray tonight, God, that we would, we would extract from your word, God, that we would grow from your word, God, that we would learn what it is you want us to learn tonight. God, I pray for open, open hearts and open ears. And, God, give me the words to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. High five your neighbor and take a seat. The title of this is The Promise is Still Alive. Somebody, somebody say that, The Promise is still alive. still alive. The Promise is Still Alive, gang. See, we're going to spend the first bit of our time dissecting this chapter, and then we'll zoom out a little bit, and I just want to look at the life of, of Sarah. I'm sure there are some in this room that, that know what it's like to lose a spouse, but to be honest with you, I can hardly begin to imagine what that would be like after years and years and years and years of marriage. You see, I, I've only been married 27 years, but um, I can't imagine losing my wife. And here Abraham is, and, and this is what has happened. You know, but when you've been married that long, have you noticed that you begin to, to think alike? Anyone else? You begin to think alike. You, you begin to, to maybe like what your spouse likes, or, or maybe you, uh, you know what irritates them, and you know how to push the buttons, right? They're part of your, there was a lot of enthusiasm down here, Jenna. You, you know what their, their routines are. You know what they do when they get up in the morning. You know where they set the toothbrush, right? You know where they put the milk in the fridge and, and all these things. You know so many things about them, and it just becomes part of your life. And um, You know, you've been married that long. You've seen some amazing times and probably some really hard times, um, You've had adventures together, and you've watched each other grow old. And I think it's kind of kind of sweet that I feel like the longer people are together, the, the more they look alike. You ever notice that? It just seems like some, not all, but some older couples, you're like, man, are they like brother and sister? No, they've been together for like 70 years. They just begin to, to look alike. They're, they act alike. They can finish each other's sentences, you know. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to be with somebody for that long. Right? And, and even now, it's, again, it's only been 27 years, but it's, it's, it's so strange that I'll think about her, and I'll pick up my phone to call her, and it'll ring, and it's her. Right? I'm not being weird with you, but, I mean, it happens all the time, right? And I'll be like, guess what? She'll be like, you were going to call me. Yeah, absolutely, I was going to call you. And I've prayed to the Lord that, and this sounds really bad, but I, I've prayed that she, that she doesn't go before I go because I don't know if I could live without her. Anyone else relate to that? Yeah, I don't know. And that's, that's really selfish, because I'm, what I'm saying is you're going to have to live without me. Right? So I don't know if that's really really the right way to look at it, but it's, I'm just being honest. I feel like she would, be, she, she would be able to survive probably without me better than I could survive without her. Any husbands in here attest to that? Yeah, amen. Come on, it's okay to say amen. If you forgot the last time I preached, the more amens I get, every amen you get two minutes off the message. Okay. Come on, night Church. Let's go. But I can't imagine what it would be like to lose your spouse after that many years. You know, Abraham, he was mourning, and, and the way he mourned, though, I, I want to take something from this. He His mourning, the way he did it, it demonstrated, like, the way to mourn. He was a man of great great faith and a friend of God. And, and yes, he he wept for the, the loss of his, of his sweet Sarah, but but he wants to honor her through her burial. You know, there was nothing weak or unbelieving about the tears that this man shed. You see, where there is a deep grief, there is great love. Let me say it again. Where there is is deep grief, there is great love. To weep for a loved one is to show that we have been close, that the loss is keenly felt, that death is an enemy, and that sin has brought that sad punishment upon human race. Amen? The sin brought that. We were not designed to know how to deal with death. I don't believe that God put that in our DNA. I think that's why we struggle with it so much. When we were created, we were not created to die. Right? And so it's, it's like you don't know what to do with it. You, and as believers, we know that there's hope, and I'm going to talk about that. But at the same time, there's this loss, right? Because he didn't put that in there. Sin brought that. We brought that. And it was nothing that God ever intended us to have to deal with. You know that even in grief, though, we can have hope. See, death and grief are real, and unfortunately, sometimes, or I shouldn't say sometimes, let's be honest, every one of us are going to face grief in our lives. Amen? Every one of us are going to have to bury somebody someday. Every one of us are going to have to lose a loved one someday. And you know, this is a real exciting message this, this, this evening, isn't it? But I'm here to tell you, let's, let's talk about the truth of what God's word says. That even though there's grief, that we can have hope. That even though we don't understand what's going on, we can still have purpose in our lives. See, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14 says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or dead. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? Because you believe that Jesus died and rose again, that God will bring him, bring with him, those who have fallen asleep. See, let me tell you something. When people pass away that know Christ, we're going to see him again. No, I'm serious. That changes things. I can't imagine living this life without Christ. I can't imagine living this life without any hope. That even though it hurts in the moment, we know that we're going to see him again. Amen? Amen. Now, come on, somebody needs to get a little bit excited tonight because what we're talking about is eternal life. What we're talking about is that you believe that a man 2,000 years ago was born to a virgin woman. You believe this so far. Born to a virgin woman. He lived his entire life, 33 years, and he never sinned. Okay, they killed him. They put him on a cross. They crucified him for you and me. They put him in a tomb, and he was dead. Three days later, he came out of there. He was alive. And then a bunch of people saw him, and then he ascended, levitated up through the clouds, and two angels are like, hey, to the people around, what do you guys, why, why, why are you looking at it like this? It, it's not a big deal. He's going to come back the same way. You're telling me you believe all of that? Yes. So can you get a little bit excited because the people that have gone before us that knew Christ, we're going to see them because they're there with him. Yes. Amen. Come on. Now the church should be excited about this stuff. Not about dying, but about eternal life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sometimes though you go to a funeral and you know they were saved. And I'm telling you what, if you if you guys go to my funeral and you act all bummed out, I'm going to be mad. I'm serious. No, I believe what I just said. I believe what it says in the book. I believe that now, guess what? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? Yeah. Don't, don't grieve. Don't grieve for me. You can grieve because you're going to, you know, we were just, I was just such a great guy. You're going to miss me. Yeah. Many of you are going, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, take him home. But listen, don't grieve like someone that has no hope. Like let's have a party Come on, we got to change our mindset a little bit here, people. It's okay to grieve, right? But unlike those that don't have hope, we have hope. And, you know, if you need more, like, help with this grief stuff, because it is hard. Pastor did a message several months ago on grief. I just encourage you to go to our, our social media sites and check that out. Because I, I'm not dismissing the grief. I'm not dismissing how hard it is. I'm, I'm not saying just get over it. What I'm saying is we have a hope that the world doesn't have. And you know this tomb, it's, it's kind of interesting how this whole thing happens. So Abraham buys this tomb. And this is where Isaac, his son, and Ishmael, where they buried Abraham. It's where Isaac and, and Rebekah were both buried. It's where Jacob buried Leah here, and Joseph was buried, buried Jacob there. And, and it's, it's like the cave of the patriarchs. See, he began something here. It meant something to still honor what had happened in the past. So just because we know that they're gone and have gone to be with the Lord, we still can honor what happened in their life. And I just love the example of what, of what Abraham is doing here. You know, I've talked to people before, and they're like, man, when I die, I don't care where you bury me. And, uh, and I don't feel that way. Like, we've got a spot back in Rhinebeck where I grew up. It's the family plot. Anybody else have a family plot? Yeah, and every now and then I'll go back, and, and I'll go walk around, and I'll see my great-great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandfather. I'll go back and, and see those that have, have passed away far too soon. Um, I remember what God's done. I remember the legacy, I remember the family history, I remember those things, and it helps me to live life better today. And it's such a great example of what Abraham does here. He's not saying the promise is dead, he's just saying I'm, I'm gonna grieve for my wife because I miss her and, and, and I love her, but I'm, I'm still gonna move on with life, I know where she's at. And he created this legacy where a bunch of these patriarchs were buried in the same place. And I just wanna ask you, like, is your life Well, actually, Leonard Ravenhill, I don't know if you guys know who this guy was, but a great man of God, on his tombstone, he put this phrase, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? And when people walk around your tomb someday, maybe your family does that, and they walk by and they see, oh, I don't want to pick anybody out. That would be mean. But they see Joe Smith, and they walk by, and that's Grandpa Joe Smith. What, What are they going to say? What kind of legacy did you leave? What kind of spiritual heritage did you build? What did you do for your family? What are they going to say when they walk by and see you? And what are they going to tell their grandchildren or, or their children as they walk by and say, man, this, let me tell you a story about grandpa here. Let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you the man of God and the character that he had. And see, that's what this tomb, that's what it represented. These people lived their life for God. They weren't perfect, but it, but it created this, this opportunity for legacy, a memorial. It's pretty amazing how he handled himself. And In verse 7 it says that Abraham bowed down to the people of the land. See, Abraham showed how a follower of God should conduct business. Even when you're grieving that he conducted business with, with courtesy. It was, he was fair. It was, it was done prudently. He didn't even give a counteroffer to the suggested price of 400 shekels of silver. See, it was a remarkably generous Offer that he paid for that. And you want to know one of the biggest pet peeves I have is when believers always expect a better deal than someone else. See, God is extremely generous, and sometimes you can be generous too. Especially when you're dealing with other brothers and sisters. Why wouldn't you be extra generous? See, Abraham didn't say, but you don't understand. You don't understand right now I'm grieving. You don't understand I just had a you know, there was just a drought and my sheep aren't, aren't doing as well. The markets aren't quite as high. Can you just cut me a deal? He didn't use the situation because he was in a tough situation to try to get a better deal. He said, you know what, even in the midst of this tragedy, I'm still going to honor God and I'm still going to be generous. Because he was looking ahead. He wasn't just looking at this moment, right? Right. And so many times I think as believers we get this, this victim mentality, well, what was me and oh God this and oh God. No, listen, look ahead. Do what's right and God will bless you. Come on, somebody. Believers should not be known for being stingy. We should be known for our generosity. Even in grief, he knew that he was blessed and he wanted to be generous to others. One of the last things I want to say about Sarah's death before we move on is that she lived to be 127 years old. And that sounds like it's a really long time, but I tell you what, it's not in the, in the course of eternity. Every single one of us, look look at your neighbor, this is risky, but look at your neighbor and say you're going to die. Not, not tonight, but... Okay, I probably won't do that tomorrow. I just kind of lost you guys. Um, but in, in context to that, can I just, can I just shake, shake you for just a moment, emotionally, spiritually? Even if you live to be 127 years, your life's going to end. How are you living your life right now? I'm serious, like, come on, how are you living your life? Are you, are you proud of what you're doing? Are you proud of how you're acting? Are you proud of what you do? Are you, are you proud of your life, or does, do there need to be changes? Do you need to say some things to people that, you know, because, listen, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You know, coming down, we just went and visited my folks today, and driving back, I got a call, or a message, rather, from my, my elementary uh, best friend. We graduated together, but we kind of grew apart in middle school. But anyway, all the way through elementary school, we were best friends. And his mom messaged me, and he died last night. And, you know, I'm only 49 years old, and that's what that's what he was. And he didn't know that was going to be his last day. So, you know, it's not a scare tactic, but it's reality. None of us are going to live forever. So why don't we try to live right? Don't wait to do the thing you know you're supposed to do. Don't wait to ask for forgiveness. Don't have so much pride. I mean, just do the right thing. When you leave tonight, listen, if the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart, go and ask for forgiveness. Earlier this week, I was just spending time with the Lord. It was actually a staff meeting here Tuesday morning. I just felt like God dropped something in my heart, like apologized to somebody. And I've just learned not to try to figure it out or try to justify myself or or try to say, well, that's not what I meant. You know, God, you know. No, I just picked up my phone, and I sent a text and said, hey, listen, I was kind of a jerk. I'm sorry. I just want to challenge you. you. When you hear the Holy Spirit start to nudge you to do something, do it. And you'll be amazed at the results that come after that. Like, I don't do it to get, but I'll tell you what, God always gives. Because he's not stingy. Now let's zoom out for just a minute and look at this whole story. If you remember, Abram, which is what his name was before he was Abraham, Abram and Sarah, they began this journey with a promise from God. Right? You remember this? And in Genesis 12, 1 through 5, it says this. This is how it all started. Like here we are at the end, right? Sarah's Sarah's dead. But now let's fast or let's rewind now to the very beginning. as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed Haran. 75 years old. And Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his, bro- his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired. And they went out to go to the land of Canaan. So now here we are in Canaan and Sarah dies. Surely, after all these years, God had fulfilled this promise, right? No, no, surely, surely at the age of, um, I mean, what are they now? Abraham's 135. He's 10 years older than her. So they were called at 75 and 65, roughly. Again, they're 75 and 65, so don't tell me in this room you're too old to do something for God. Right? He called them at 75, and and you say, well, it was different then. He's still God, right? So at 75 and 65, God calls them to leave all that they knew for a promise. So when when Abraham was was 100 and Sarah was 90, part of the promise came, came to pass, a son. Now at age 137... And Sarah dies at 127, Isaac, their son, is 37 years old, and he doesn't even have a wife. How many of you, if you were Abraham, might be asking, God, what what great nation? You told me way back then, you you told me way back then, it's been 62 years, you said I'd be a great nation, you said my name would be great, you said... all the families of the Earth would be blessed through me. My wife just died, and my son's in his 30s, and he's still living in the basement. I mean I mean, seriously now, any of you ever been there where you're like, "God, you gave me a promise, you put something in my heart, or I thought it was going to work out differently." Sometimes all you can do is keep doing. Let me say it again. Sometimes all you can do is keep doing. Most of the time, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give you something here. So if you're taking notes, most of the time serving God is not, will not look like you think it should. Any amens out there? Most of the time serving God will not look like you think it should look. But keep doing the right thing. And remember, it's not about you and me. It's about him. Keep doing and he'll bless you along the way. And I know this is for more than just one person in this room. You know, I felt like I added this here just just maybe an hour ago. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying that, that you're confused because you thought so clearly you knew what God was going to do in your life. You thought so clearly, like he gave you it so, like it was, he, like this, very specific, like go to, go to this land and I'm gonna make you a great nation or I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna do that or I'm gonna, whatever it is, but you, but you have clarity in that. You wrote it down maybe even. You've got it written down and God said it and nothing has happened in your life that matches up with that yet. And I just feel like, this is good for everybody, but it's especially true for you, don't quit because his promises are yes and amen, Amen. which means he'll never change his mind, ever, ever. God never changes his mind. His calling is without repentance, which means if he called you and asked you to do something, he'll never be sorry you did that. He won't change his mind. No matter what you do, you might make it take longer. Right? Going through the wilderness time, it it, it took longer for the Israelites than it should have. Because they were boneheads. No, I'm serious. He'll let you go around that mountain and go around the mountain and go around the mountain until you go, wait a minute. Maybe I'll try it your way. And all of a sudden, it's amazing how quickly things change when you say, I'll quit trying to figure it out and I'll do it your way. Right? Part of that is you've got to get the Excuse me, get the idols out of your life. If there's a water somewhere, that would be fabulous. So they were marching through the desert, doing it their way, and had idols in their life. If you want God's plan for your life, thanks, buddy. Get the idols out of your life. Come on. What are idols? Anything you put before God. Can't quit watching that TV program? It's an idol. Come on. Come, on. Be real. Yeah, come on. Okay, so listen. These guys went 60-some years, 62 years, and didn't see the promise. But in Hebrews 11, it says this. Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. These all died in faith. <clears throat> Get this. Here's an encouraging word for you guys. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What does that mean? What it means is Abraham and Sarah lived their entire lives following God, in obedience to God, and they never saw the promise like they thought they were going to. But it pleased God. Did the promise come? When did the promise come? It came with Joshua when they entered the promised land. What you're doing today is setting the, the, the path, the foundation for future generations in your family. Just because you may not see it today. And the problem is we live in a microwave generation, right? We live in a, I can Google the answer right now. Like growing up, we had to, we had to get in the, the encyclopedia, for goodness sakes. Come on. And even that was awesome. I'd get hand-me-downs botanical. Was that the name of it? What was it? Huh? Britannica Encyclopedias. My grandparents would get a new set when they came out, and we'd get the old set. So I'd ask something about something, maybe the Nile River. Well, I couldn't find out anything about the Nile until I got home. And then I'd look it up, and whatever it said, that's all I knew. One page, two pages, man. I was like, Whoa. And now you can pull out your phone that's got more more power than the first space shuttle. And anything you want is right there. The problem with that is we're not good at waiting. So when God doesn't do what we want him to do, we're like, this isn't fair. It doesn't make sense. God, I must not have heard you right. Right? But what if God doesn't give you the promise that he put in your heart to give you in your lifetime, but it's for you and your family? Come on. Are you, are you serving him for what, what you get from him? Or are you serving him because who he is? This is a great example that when God promises something, it will happen, but it might not even be in your lifetime. Choose faith today. If you choose faith, it will impact generations to come. Take your eyes off the, off the earthly, temporal things, and remember that even if you live to be 127 like Sarah or 175 like Abraham, you will one day die, and faith in God is what will matter for all eternity and for your family. So keep going. Living a life for God doesn't require perfection. That's another thing I've learned from Sarah. How many of you are glad it doesn't require perfection? Pastor says all the time, perfect people are welcome here, but so far none have shown up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Sarah and Abraham, they messed up big time and often. It's encouraging. It really is. Like, I, I think our goal should not be to mess up. Yeah. However, God uses people that mess up. Like, how many times did, did, they, did they play that game, she's my sister? If you're not familiar with the story, she must have been a very attractive woman because they would go to a new place, and and Abraham was afraid that the new place, the new kingdom, the new person in charge would take his wife and kill him. So he's like, just say you're my sister. Now, they, they were on a mission from God. Like they left their homeland, going to a place that God told them to go, and yet they didn't have the faith or the courage, whatever, right? They messed up. They didn't do that only one time. They did it multiple times. And then, and then Sarah's the one that had the great idea. You know what, God gave us this promise that we're going like, to have all these people and we're going to be nations and all this kind of stuff, so, but I'm barren and I'm old, so here's a really good idea. Help God. Like, give him the ideas. Like, you know, try to shortcut things in your life. It works good, Right. No, Tara says, "Hey, listen, I doesn't working out here with you and me. Like something's not working. Plumbing's off. You can have my maid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. Yeah. You can have my maid." So that backfired. Kind of created a whole people group that, that there's been some conflict ever since. Yeah. Right. Didn't work well. There was also a time. This is like. Probably one of my favorite stories of Sarah. And it's in Genesis 18, 10 through 15. It says this. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time. He's talking to Abraham and Sarah. I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. So she wasn't really in the conversation. Now Abraham and Sarah were very old, advanced in years. The way of a woman had ceased to be with Sarah. Things weren't working. So when this was said, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And the Lord said, Is anything too hard for me? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, you did laugh. I mean, isn't that just the greatest? I mean, it's like, it's, it, it like gives me hope, because she's just human, Oftentimes we read the scriptures and we put them on a pedestal and we think that they were these superhuman, like whatever, right? But no, these were just real men and women. Sarah is really old. And she hears the Lord telling Abraham this. And she's like, "Yeah, whatever, under her breath. I can just see this happening. And the Lord, of course, knows everything. And he's like, why did you laugh? I, I didn't. Y- yes, you did. Like, you're, you're, old, you're too old to be doing this, Sarah. But God still used her. The Lord didn't need it to be physically possible, nor did he need Sarah to believe it was even possible. God was going to reveal his sovereignty and his power. You see, write this down. God does not need your permission to do the supernatural. He's God. So many times we think that we're the missing link to supernatural things happening. See, God did not need her to believe it. He didn't need her to understand it. He didn't need her to to, to even be honest about it. God says, you're going to have a child. I'm going to give you a child. That gives me hope. I've heard it said. I had a a pastor going up that told me, I was always concerned about, am I in God's will? Am I in God's will? He said, Rob, I think it's harder to get out of God's will than you realize. I think the only way to get out of his will, it's pretty arrogant to think you can too, he said, but... The only way you can get out of his will is if you act in disobedience. If God tells you to do something and you don't do it, then you're probably out of his will. But otherwise, it's not that easy to get out of his will. Because he loves you. He saved you. He, he's for you. He's an advocate for you. You know what I mean? Don't walk around on eggshells thinking, I wonder if, I'm, I wonder if he's mad at me. I wonder, I wonder if I'm out of his will, in his will. Did you act in disobedience? Well, yes. Well, then change that, and you're in his will. Right? So good. God doesn't need your permission to do the supernatural. Quit trying to figure it all out. Just learn to rest in His word and in His promises. Even in some failures and doubts and lying, Sarah is used in the New Testament as an example for wives. Isn't that amazing? She's used it as, as an example in marriage, what a godly wife looks like. So I, I want to talk about that just for a moment, and I, I'm going to definitely step on some toes. So how many of you had your, have your steel toe boots on? How do you think the, the, the conversation went when Abraham first heard the Lord asking him to leave everything he knew and to go to, go to a place he didn't know? Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, Sarah, um... We need to talk. I, she might have done that. Um, I was out with the Lord, and he told me we're to, we're to grab everything we have, and we're going to go to a place called Canaan. And, and there's going to be a city there whose builder and maker is God. And we're supposed to go there. Well, I don't know. How do we know when we're going to get there? I, I, I don't really know. When do we leave? Now. Yeah. <laughs> do you have the map? No, no honey, I, I don't have the map. Um, how many times do you think on that journey, sh- she might have asked, so are we there yet? <laughs> Is this it? This looks like a good spot. No, no, this isn't the spot. I, I, how do you know? I'll just know. Uh-huh. I, what? Yeah. Um, honey, I, I, I think we took a wrong turn back there. I, I think we should turn around, Sarah. I know like I'm not lost. Should we have directions? No, they don't know where we're going either. Can you imagine moving our family tent to tent to tent and and just a little bit in a little in a little tiny way, I can kind of relate it, several, maybe not what is it, nine years ago or so uh we were pastoring in a church, and I, I never forget the morning. I, it was a men's prayer, and on my face, and the, and the Lord said it's eminent. That's a word I don't use that often. And it's like now, like it's going to happen. And I knew he met, we're moving. And I just said, oh, okay. I didn't like it at all, didn't want it at all. Loved where I was, loved the people, loved everything about it. And I went home, and I told my wife, I said, um, we're going we're gonna to be doing something. And she says, I kind of figured, I, I kind of feel that, I, but I don't know anything. Well, I said, I kind of do. It's going to be soon. Well, what is it? I said, I don't know. She goes, well, when? I said, I, I just told you, soon. I'm not kidding, this happened around our table. She goes, well, what, what's it going to look like? I, I don't know, but I know it's going to be soon. I know, I mean, I mean, like soon, like days. Within days, I got a phone call. The minute I saw a name on the phone, I knew exactly what it was. And, and she trusted me enough that God had spoken to me to do this. With a with little one that was about to start school, one that was going in their freshman year, one going in their junior year. And, and, and Sarah, in a much larger scale, demonstrated the same kind of honor and faith towards her husband. Now, the Bible says that the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. It, give me an amen. amen. Come on, I'll force it like that, like come on. It's okay to say amen even to that. But what that means is sometimes you have to make tough decisions. You know, in our culture, our culture will tell you that that's not okay to say. Our culture will tell you that that's demeaning. Our culture will tell you that, uh, that it's toxic masculinity. Our culture does not have it figured out very well, though, do they? What's our culture tell you about men and women? What's our culture, what's the success rate in culture right now when it comes to healthy marriages? God's way is better. And this example that, 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 that Sarah gives here is a godly example that the New Testament references that she honored her husband enough, that she didn't have all the answers. And, you know, here's the thing, too. Listen, we can get into this a lot deeper, but, guys, you got to lead well. Right? If your wife's not honoring you, I mean, are you acting honorable? Are you leading? There's many women in this room that, have, that can outrun their husbands spiritually. Yeah. And that's not your fault. It's our fault. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. There's single moms in here. You gotta do both. And man, we love you, we lift you up in prayer, but there needs to be some men coming along in your life to help. Yeah. Guys, we are called to be the spiritual leaders of our homes we are called to be the spiritual leaders, period. Not because we're better, but because that's God's design. Amen. And wives, you're called to honor that, to honor that. And I am so thankful that I have a wife, and I'll tell you what, guys, there's nothing that makes you wanna, wanna hear from God more and to be right to lead your family is to have a woman that trusts you. Yeah. So ladies, give him a chance to be trusted. And I'll tell you what, if something does go wrong, don't say, well, I told you that would happen. Right? How about we just trust that let's let's do it better next time. Right? Let's honor one another. But Sarah, again, is called out for being an example. It's time to return to the word of God and do it his way. Now, I'll read this scripture to you, my last one, 1 Peter 3. 5-7, through for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, though, men, husbands, live with your wives in, in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. If You don't honor your wife and treat her in an understanding way. The way I read that when I reverse engineer that scripture is your prayers are hindered. So guys, let's honor our wives as well. Let's treat them with understanding. And a weaker just means they're just weaker physically God put something in us, right? And again, if you don't like that, you take it up with, with the Bible. But I promise you this if you'll just, if you'll just live that way, if you'll, if you'll do everything you can to submit to that, that God will bless your marriage. You'll begin to see less conflict in your marriage. It, 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 you know, contrary, you remember, you remember uh, uh, Lot's wife? What, what was her name? What? What was her? You guys remember her name, right? Yeah, you don't, you, nobody does because the Bible doesn't mention it. Because I, if, if Lot's wife wrote a book today, maybe it would say, Honor your husband or die. <laughs> or how to be less salty. <laughs> I just had to. I'm sorry. It was, it was so good. But in all, yeah, yeah, amen. In all seriousness, though, can you imagine the faith it took for Sarah to say, "Yes, dear, let's go"? Yeah. And I, I can just imagine as Abraham's laying her in that tomb, he's thinking about the last sixty some years and how it all started, and there were times before that too. But that moment that he went to her and said, I I need you to take a step of faith with me, honey. I believe that God said this for our family. And she honored her husband enough to say yes. What a godly example. Marriage truly is an exercise in trust and commitment. Hmm. And I'll tell you what, even when Sarah died, the promise is still alive. You know, Abraham lived another 40 years after Sarah died. (laughs) And God did end up fulfilling the promise he made to him. Isn't that something? We serve a God who is trustworthy. Amen? We serve a God who is sovereign. We serve a God who loves us. And we serve a God who gave his only son for us. As we close, let's stand up. Because I want to remind you of a few things tonight. The promise is still alive. Where there is deep grief, there is great love. Sometimes all you can do is keep doing. Living a life for God doesn't require perfection. God doesn't need your permission to do the supernatural. Supernatural. Husbands are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And even when crisis hits your life, the promise is still alive. So I ask you tonight, what do you need from God? What do you need? Are you grieving? Do you have a broken heart? Has something happened? Then run to Jesus. Are you confused at the calling in your life and like this isn't turning out like I thought it was going to? Are you confused on his timing? Are you struggling in your marriage? Are you like, man, I read through that and you're just like, That we are so far from that. I don't don't treat her with understanding and she doesn't honor me. And you know it. Well, then just come and get help. Run to the altar and say, Jesus, I need you because I promise you this you can get help outside of the altar. You can, but don't ever go get help out there before you come to the altar. Don't do it. You'll take a step of faith to do that, but you won't take a step of faith to come and, and submit yourself to God and say, I need help. And you say, oh, I can do it right here in my seat. I challenge you with that. Man, that's never worked well for me. The times I've had the biggest life changes where God's transformed my life is when I took a step of faith, his direction. Amen? What if Abraham, when God said, hey, go to this land, and he said, oh, I'll go, but never went. That's faith. Faith is going. Are you still trying to figure it all out? Are you beating yourself up because you've messed up one too many times? For all of those and everything else, we're just gonna take a little altar time. So if you need something from God right now, we've got a few minutes left, 10 minutes and this thing will be wrapped up. We're gonna give you time to be at the altar. So I want you to come forward and spend some time with Jesus. Just say, man, listen, I I don't wanna live this way anymore. God, I need you, whatever it is. We need to never become comfortable with church just being what it is we need to be willing to say you know what maybe I've gone to the altar 15 times and nothing happened but I'll go a 16th and I'll go a 17th and I'll go an 18th and I'll go a 19th I'll go a 20th I've got a friend of mine that had a a disease that put him in a wheelchair and he was there for years and years and years loved loved the Lord had a large family went to the altar went to the altar went to the altar never got healed never got healed one Sunday night service up in Minnesota he had somebody wheel him up and that was his night I don't, I don't know why, I, don't, I, I can't explain it. Maybe it was just because of this. We can say, you know what, God's timing is God's timing. But I'll tell you what, he is so glad that he went up that night because he got up out of the wheelchair, it was a very large church, and he ran up the stairs, ran on the balcony, ran down here, and he's still pastoring a church today over in Illinois. It's been years and years and years and years now. God still heals. He still heals broken hearts. He does heal bodies. He heals minds. If you're struggling with depression, doubts, suicidal thoughts, anything at all, this is the place for you because that's what Jesus does. He loves taking broken things and putting them back together. And you know what? He takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And if you're like, man, I don't have any giftings, I don't have any education, I don't have any talent, God can still use you. Amen? Amen. Let's spend some time down here. And Pastor Brad's going to come and uh, he's going to talk to those that want to give their life to Christ tonight. Because I'm telling you what, if you don't know where you would go tonight if your life ended, you you need to hear this and you need to give your life to Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.